Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you, and rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to the Drafting the Circuits Radio Program. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk about everything in racing. Joining me today is my good friend Gray Warren, Seth Eggert, and Richard Uden. How is everybody tonight? Doing Doing good. Good, thank you. Alright, so it is officially the month of May, and the month of May um, always kind of culminates with the Indianapolis 500 and, and the World 600, but the the start of the month of May uh, is always a time where we remember Ayrton Senna, who lost his life on, on May 1st, uh, a day after Roland Ratzenberger had lost his life in a in a crash at well on, on a weekend that many consider to be one of the darkest weekends in motor racing history back in 1994. I remember it well. Um, it, it's one of the few times I'd ever um, just turned a television off uh, with a, with a race still going on and just walked away from it because I was, you know, visibly shaken um, with uh, the events that unfolded there. But Richard, you've uh, you've worked in Formula One, you've grown up in Formula One. I know, I know you have some uh, some thoughts about uh, Senna and and look back on his career. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's always a a difficult you know, or a time of the year when everybody who's involved in Formula One remembers the, the legacy and, and the sort of gift that uh, that Senna gave gave everybody that follows motorsport. Um, you know, for a while there, I actually worked for Williams, the Williams team, and um, there was a um, auditorium uh, named after him that we'd, we'd often meet in. And actually, on the first of May, um, quite regularly, there'd be flowers left outside the uh, the team team factory there in in the UK. Uh, so he left a huge impression on, on people and um, you know I knew guys that were on the team that day who were actually at Imola that weekend when when he had the, when he's had his accident and they've got some pretty raw and real stories to tell uh, but I, I just wanted to you know from I, I guess it's more how how people and how sport impacts people's lives at times we think of sport as a hobby or a pastime or an entertainment and, and at the end of the day it is but also it has a huge impact on people's lives and you know, for myself, I remember the day very, very clearly. I was 
um, I was what, 10 years old at the time and um, I was just starting to sort of get into Formula One, you know, growing up in the UK, we'd have Nigel Mansell winning in 92 and then Damon Hill was starting to come through. So I was, you know, starting to get into the sport that day, that, that, that time. And I can still remember exactly where I was in my parents' house watching on the TV when he, when he had his accident. And for a young kid then, it, it was really sort of um, the first real exposure I'd had to to death and to mortality. Um, obviously, you know, Ratzenberger had been killed the day before, but unfortunately, due to his profile and the nature of it, it wasn't covered in the, in the depths that it it should have been. Um, obviously, if it'd been today with social media, I'm sure it'd be a lot more a lot more coverage of it. But you know, for for a young kid, it was, it was the first time I'd ever you know really experienced that, and it it sort of bought it sort of transcended the celebrity image and the um, you know, real life. You you, know, you brought what you see on TV into reality, and of course, you know, you, you were aware of famous people that died before them, but you never really had that link or that connection with them. And it it made a huge impact on me. And I was, you know, I was as a young kid, I was shaken by it. You know, and, you, know you you look back on it now, and it was such a you know, terrible, terrible weekend of sport, you know, knowing more about it now and having read books and, and having, having sort of listened to people that were there, you know, you had Rubens Barrichello had a massive accident on the Friday, which he was incredibly lucky to walk away from. His car got airborne coming over some curbs and hit some catch fencing just, just head on at 140 odd miles an hour. And he was incredibly lucky to, to sort of have a, uh, just a broken nose from the accident. And then of course, Roland Ratzenberger had his, his, um, accident on the on the Saturday in qualifying, which which unfortunately cost him his life. Um, and then at the start of the race on the Sunday morning, yeah, I'm guessing it would be. I know it was one of the Benetton. So it must have been JJ Leto, I think it was at the time. Or was it? It could have been him or um, uh, Leto. Leto sounds right. Yeah. I'm so like... yeah, he was hit by I think it was Pedro Lamy, um, and tires went into the crowd and. And that was actually what caused the safety car period where um, um, a lot of people blamed the drop in pressure and tyre pressure and ride heights and the like on, on Senna's accident. Um, and then after all that, after the race had been stopped and was restarted, it there was another accident in the pit lane where a tyre came up and bounced down and injured three or four drivers. So... It was just this horrible, horrible weekend. Um, and then, of course, two weeks later, you had Carl Wendlinger was you know, almost killed in an accident at Monaco. And later in the season, Mika Hakkinen had a huge accident in, um, in Australia. And it'd be interesting to, to sort of, I guess, you know, wonder what the reaction to that sort of those events would have been like in um, you know, 2019. Certainly, yeah, it would be different. Yeah, it's really interesting when, when you know, when you, when you kind of think about the the era uh, when things happen, right? When like when oh, Senna yeah. died, and and um, also you know you can also draw a parallel to when you know Dale Earnhardt Senior died. Of course, right? that's the biggest. These these are two guys who were they're not supposed to die. Bigger right? than the sport. Yeah, you know, the bigger yeah, they're, than they're the sport. Bigger than the sport, and and you know Roland Rassenberger, yes, is tragic. Yeah, and, and it's, you it's not good for the sport, but some stuff like a Senna. You know, yeah. but but if you, you know, if you if you if you if you backtrack twenty years from there, yeah. 
you know, it was commonplace for the, the biggest guys in the sport to lose their lives. And, you know, I think you as, had... as a generation, like now, you know, the last fatality in Formula One was Senna all the way up to uh, um, Jules Bianchi. Jules Bianchi, yeah. It was recently, and... so you, had, you have a whole generation now that's just desensitized. Yeah. desensitized. They're not used to so if something like that were to happen today it would be it would be utterly shocking you know so, yeah yes, and you had up in on this um conversation yeah. too then we could circle back to you yeah sure yeah like you said utterly shocking uh that brings to mind at least for me when it comes to indycar uh more recently justin wilson and dan weldon uh but going back to senna uh if you've ever watched the documentary uh, one on I want to say it's on Netflix, uh, going through the history of Formula One. Uh, there's a part on it in which they talk about not only Senna, but the safety car driver that day, which, if I remember correctly, was Max Angelelli, uh, who went on to fame in IMSA and sports cars. And he talked about after seeing the wreck and what had happened, that's what drove him to sports car racing and an enclosed cockpit instead of going the open wheel route that he had intended on going. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Oh, I, I, I can imagine. I mean, it was, it, it certainly shook the sport to a core and, and, you know, you saw by the reaction, you know, there was a real, I think the difference that you saw, what you see now in post center and post Bianchi is, the sport react, you know, that they, they, if you look at a car from 94 to compared to a car from 96, the driver protection area is infinitely different. I mean, the, you could see the driver's shoulders in 94, you know, you get nowhere near that now, you know, they put all the uh, head and neck support around them, the, the um, foam around the driver's head, but, you know, but then when you lost, other drivers of, of arguably equal talent and skill as, as Senna, you know, you look at Gilles Villeneuve and, and I think the, arguably the, the greatest driver that's ever lived was Jim Clark. And there was a, oh, well, that was really bad. Okay, next race. You know, nobody reacted to it. They just got on with it because, as, as you mentioned earlier, Frank, it's accepted. And it's totally different now. It's... Um, we, we don't accept these things, and society as a general doesn't accept them, which is a good thing. You know, goodness me, don't oh, it's a good thing, yeah. yeah. And I mean, it, yeah. it, it traces back to, you know, guys like uh, Jackie Stewart, who was, you know, he's... The pioneer, yeah. The pioneer and, of, of, of trying to, to tell the, 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 the track owners, the series, and the team owners mm-hmm. that, hey, drivers are not a disposable commodity, because that's how they were treated. They said, okay, well, uh, you know, we lost this guy to somebody waiting in line for his spot, you know, and... and yeah. I, I think, I, but my favorite quote from Jackie Stewart is, uh, you know, I you know, I pioneered for safety, and um, it, didn't, it didn't make me a popular champion. He goes, you know what? He says, I could have stayed in the sport. I might be dead, but I'd be more, much more popular. You yeah. Know? So well, and it, it, instead, he felt that, you know, campaigning for that drivers, you know, are, we, you know we're it, not. Yeah. A, but but there's always been something to be learned from from fatality in motorsports. I, you know, I go back, I go back to my to 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 my early uh, fandom back in the mid '60s, and and I, and and we lost heroes like Fireball Roberts and and Joe Weatherly. But I can I can honestly say, in, in some of the more higher profile fatalities from the mid '60s, again Fireball Roberts, Joe Weatherly, Jimmy Purdue, their deaths 
also created change within our sport. You know, the fuel cell uh, and the uh, safety top to the fuel cell came in uh, after Fireball. And then you had the safety inner liner in the tires that came after uh, uh, Jimmy Pardue's death. Also, the submarine belt, uh, Joe Weatherly's death, the uh, shoulder harness became mandatory. So those things came along and were positive changes after after their deaths and then later on in the sport you know we went through another dark period when we lost Adam Petty and Kenny Irwin and we and, and even Dale Earnhardt in, in, in a short span but we learned something else from those we learned about the basal skull fracture and then that led to the development of the Hans device and 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 the neck restraints and things like that that we that we have today and it's it's like the march of time it you know the cars uh became technologically better and faster and opened up essentially a can of worms you know that led to to other fatalities that we had to learn from and overcome so it's it's been that way you know all through motorsports in my opinion, of course, if there, mm-hmm. like I said, there there was some other there was some eras where you know drivers were were uh, treated as disposable uh, commodities, but uh, change was change was on the horizon. Yeah. Right now, Richard, you've got just a few more points on this, uh, yeah. uh, and then. Then I guess, I guess there were some races last week we need to talk about. But, uh, <laughs> I, I, I want you to get all your thoughts out, though. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, you know, sort of today, obviously, you know, it's the day when you, you sort of read up on, you know, you read little sound bites on center. And I think one guy that often gets overlooked uh, for the contribution he made to safety, not just in, in Formula One and sport, but in, in general automotive. And I think it impacts everybody's lives on almost a daily basis is Professor Sid Watkins. Um, him and him and Ayrton were, were very, very close friends. And actually, there was, um, you know, in, in some of, in one of Sid Watkins' books, he was talking about the weekend in Imola, and on the Saturday evening, him and Ayrton had dinner, and you know they were talking about, hey, let's let's just pack this in. Don't race tomorrow. Let's just pack it in, go fishing. Nobody will blame us, and we'll leave this all behind. And you know they never got a chance to do that. They they never got they never got that option. And um, the work that Sid Watkins did for for sport is amazing. And if there's anybody out there, you know, who wants a couple of good books to read that are really fascinating reads, Sid Watkins wrote two. He did uh, the first book was called Life at the Limit, published in the I'm going to say uh, mid 90s, early 90s, and he did another book called Beyond the Limit, which was like a follow up, which were two two fantastic books there. Um, and the last point I wanted to, to sort of raise on this was it's not only is it tragic that, you know, within what, eight years or seven years of each other, you know, Formula One and NASCAR lost their icons of, of Dale Earnhardt and, and, and the center. But, you know, it, it shows what uh, trust that these guys, drivers put into the mechanics and, and the engineers. And I mean, you know, for both of those accidents, there was a lot of debate on, you know, the, the safety um, you know, was the safety of those of both of those cars compromised? I know there was a lot of conjecture over Ayrton's steering column and similar for some of Dale Earnhardt's seatbelts. And, you know, at the end of the day, these guys, personally, I don't believe that there should be any sort of prosecution or any sort of criminal charges against the death in motor racing. At the end of the day, 
these guys go out there and they, they entrust their lives in the work of the mechanics and designers and engineers that go along with it. And they, they deserve, you know, they know the risks whenever, whenever, as soon as they put that helmet on. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner and step inside that car it's it's a dangerous game and they know exactly what they're doing absolutely so uh this weekend we had a uh, formula one was in baku uh, in azerbaijan uh we had uh, predicted a pretty uh pretty wild race and we didn't quite get it it was a little, no. a little bit of a letdown from <laughs> race day come uh and but again another mercedes one too uh this time valtteri baltas um in the number one spot his second win of the year um the cup guys were in talladega uh with a whole new uh look to talladega racing and yep. um chase elliott chase elliott came home the winner a uh, winner of a, a chevrolet kind of banded together to try to get themselves to win and keep the Fords and Toyotas out. And, and I, I heard that, you know, the word from Chevrolet is we don't care who wins. You guys work together and make sure we get a Chevrolet out front. And it was uh, chase Elliott uh, to the front. So um, Gray, Seth, what did you guys think about the, uh, the racing at Talladega this weekend? It was quite a bit different than what we're used to, but uh, still quite entertaining. I thought. It reminded me a lot of the Talladega races back in the early 2000s when they were actually able to make runs in the draft within a lap or two. It didn't take five, six, seven, ten laps just to make a run. Uh, And Chevrolet, I will say, uh, put down that edict or that suggestion after Hendrick had made a deal in the 500 to work with Gibbs, a Toyota team. So I think the Chevy <laughs> reps may have been a little uh, peeved at that uh, back in February, but I digress a little bit. Anyway, it you didn't have the massive field-destroying wrecks. Yes, we did have some big wrecks, or major wrecks, but it didn't have more than five or six cars, which is a little bit more reminiscent, like I said, of the early 2000s. Granted, there were a handful of races in which we had the giant wrecks. Uh, 2001 comes to mind when Bobby Labonte and Tony Stewart flipped at Daytona and Talladega. But there were also a lot of times in which we had just big four or five car wrecks back then. Uh, I think the, the, um, the term, the big one, actually dates back to 1974, if I'm not mistaken, in a wreck that um, you know, one of the very first big ones at Talladega. And I believe that's the one that uh, gave Wendell Scott career ending. 73. 73? Okay, yeah, I knew that, the, the, you know, Talladega is famous for the big one, which, you know, we don't have one every year. And, and now if we had a big one this year, 
that, that was quite a uh, quite a spectacular tumble there that uh, young Kyle Larson took there. That that was scary to watch. It it, it reminded me a lot of uh, Ricky Rudd's uh, wreck at Daytona years ago. Uh, it also reminded me of Jamie McMurray's wreck in practice last year. Uh, it was a very slow and lazy liftoff, but once he got airborne, he tumbled. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I know NASCAR is looking into that, and they might uh, change the tapered spacer size slightly just to try to keep speeds down. What they had done between the first and second practice with the wicker on the spoiler, it wasn't to keep the overall speeds down. It was to keep the RPM speeds down. Because in the first practice, uh, out of the 40 attempting or running the race... 36 had RPMs sustained over 9,600. Okay, now Gray or Richard, you're more you're more of a the technical sort than uh, Seth Rice. So so sustaining more than 9,000 RPMs. Um, what are we what are we what are we looking at there? We talk we're just talking about blowing up well, engines left and right. You're looking at some very very hot engines and a yeah. very very short race. Yeah. Okay. The, uh, they allowed them to they allowed them a, a, a two gear selections and uh so and that was another change they allowed them to change to go to another gear after it and and i tell you i thought to me this was one of the better talladega races i've seen in a good while uh i thought the competition was good i thought there was a lot of side-by-side racing uh back through the field uh, and, and up front uh i think it, i think it was pretty well received the, the cars had some throttle response had a little bit of power they could, like Seth alluded to, they could get a run, and and, and they could actually they, they could actually pass. Uh, I think uh, I think they hit on something there. I think uh, you know maybe they can tweak a little tweak a little bit, but don't don't do anything really drastic because I think uh, they've got a good package uh, for the remaining two, uh, uh, if you want to call them plate races or restrictor plate races or super speedway races that they're going to have. We go back to Daytona in July and in Talladega again in the fall. So I think they've hit on something. I thought it was a, I thought it was a pretty good, uh, pretty good show overall and a good crowd there to, uh, to support it. Uh, that was a good crowd Saturday for the um, Xfinity race too, which I, I thought was refreshing because we are used to seeing Xfinity with, you know, empty, empty grandstands, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of folks there on, well, on, on Talladega on Saturday. So. Talladega is good. Talladega is, 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 is well received and and usually yes. Yes, uh, they're going to have uh, they're going to have good crowds there for the entire weekend. Well, Chase Elliott was the first driver to win a uh, Talladega race without a plate since who, his who father was, did. Who was the last? That's right. Who was the last one exactly? Bill Elliott back in 1987. Right, and that's and that's when he set uh, set some records for um for qualifying at Talladega, right? Qualifying lap is what two twelve two thirteen. Actually, um, he had set that record in the spring race, I believe, the first race, not okay. the second one. Yeah, uh, but but as a direct reaction yes. to to those those speeds, right? Well, is where the restrictor plates come from. They feel like they need to slow the cars down on these larger tracks. Correct, and also Bobby Allison's uh, wreck into the catch fence as well. Right. Right. 
Now, we uh, we saw some pretty good speeds here in practice, and I know they felt like they wanted to slow them down. We had guys hitting, what, 204, 205? Uh, uh, 204 but, was the max. Yeah, but even even in race trim during the race, there were a couple of uh, race laps that, you know, right at 200. Uh, well, the fastest lap of the race was actually by Brendan Gong, uh, who finished eighth. And it was when he and a few others had drifted away from the pack because they thought a wreck was coming and they decided they wanted to get closer to the pack. His lap time was 2.10. Really? In in race trim during the race? Yes. That's that's good stuff. Yeah, and they wanted to slow him down at 2.04. Wow. And, and yeah, they wanted to slow him down at 2.04. Uh, and Brendan Gaughan actually had told a story uh, the uh, uh, post-race. That's the fastest he's gone since the truck series in 2002 at Daytona for a, a lap time that no longer exists because NASCAR erased the uh, time in scoring from that practice session because they did not want people to know the trucks went 216 at Daytona. Wow. Wow. That's, that, that was the first year they took the plates off the trucks, right? I remember when they, they did that. Yeah. And that's um, somebody had a horrible wreck in a truck that race. One of the boat uh, I believe. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Bodine, that was in right. 2000. Yeah, yeah, I remember that well. Yeah, I remember that was a scary-looking wreck. So, All right, so um, Xfinity and Trucks both ran this weekend or just Xfinity? Uh, just Xfi- it was Xfinity and ARCA. And ARCA, and, and our Xfinity winner was? Tyler Reddick in a beat-up car. What else is new? What yeah, else okay. is new? Yep. So, uh, so uh, let's let's talk about Xfinity and trucks for a moment, and then uh, we'll start to begin the preview um, the next week in the month of May. We've got some Formula One to talk about, and we'll move forward. So, um, Xfinity and trucks. Seth Gray. Well, Gray, I'll let you lead this one. Well, I mean, it, it, Tyler Reddick has has knocked on the door uh, all season long. Has had some. Uh, has had a number of top five finishes and just hadn't been able to close the deal. And uh, this time he was, uh, you know, he, he's a pretty good, uh, pretty good uh, plate racer um, uh, on, on the speedways. And uh, he, of course, he had some trouble early on and pancaked the side a little bit there, but uh, was able to recover from that and uh, have a car that, uh, that could compete up front uh, late in the race. Uh I thought, you know, some of the some of the racing there, the light with inside the last ten laps got kind of hairy. It was a lot of blocking going on, and I, you know, I thought I, I was sitting on the edge of my seat, thinking, well, there's going to be a big wreck here in a minute. Somebody's not going to give Ty- Tyler, you know, was really mirror driving a lot there to keep the keep the field behind him. And a couple of times he had a couple of close shaves, um, moving up to block. And I thought that maybe as they got deeper into the race and got you know, down within a few laps of the finish that, you know, somebody wasn't going to cut him any slack and he was going to end up turning himself into the fence. But he was able to pull it off and uh, it was pretty, pretty kind of pretty exciting finish. Uh, he held the held the guys at bay and was able to collect his first win of the season. And we very nearly had a uh, upset winner in Gray Golding uh, driving Bob, one of Bobby Dollar's cars. He finished second. Mm-hmm. Uh with sponsorship from uh, Panini Trading Cards and the NASCAR Racing Experience. Mind you, he finishes second, qualifies for the Dash for Cash at Dover, and their Dover sponsor bails on them. Mm. Mm, well, I hope they win the cash then, because they need it now. 
And <laughs> on on top of that, that's the best finish ever for Bobby Dollar's team. First top five, let alone top ten for Greg Alding. Uh, we also had Josh Williams earn his first top ten. And Chris Cockrum finished in the top ten for the first time. Well, good, good for them. So I was watching the end of that Xfinity race, and I and to Gray's point about the blocking, because there there was some tremendous blocking going on. And all I could think about was poor Graham Rahal losing third place the other <laughs> week with the the with the blocking call that was so mild compared well, to what we saw there. They're so not gonna the, call, they're not gonna call it in NASCAR, obviously. Well, yeah, they, yeah, they don't, they don't have the same rule that IndyCar does. But yeah, I just you, you, yeah, you do that if you kind of your own peril in NASCAR, and it, and sometimes. You know, when uh, when there's still laps to be counted, the guys will get, cut you some slack. But you get late in late in the in the race, and you pull over somebody. Somebody's going to have their nose already in there, and they're not going to lift. They're gonna they're gonna keep driving it in, and you're going to end up turning yourself into the fence. But uh, yeah, it worked out good for him. And uh, like I said, it was it was it was a long overdue win for uh, for for RCR. They had. Uh, they had not had a lot of success with the, in the Xfinity series in, in, in the last couple of years, but were able to uh, get back to victory lane this weekend at Talladega. That's good stuff. So now where are we off to next? Dover. Dover, the monster mile. Dover, the place with the coolest trophy in the world. So who do we like for Dover, guys? Richard, I'll let you go first. Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy hadn't won a race in a while, and uh, and yet there there are, are years and years that Dover has been his personal playground, and the Chevys are active winner there. And the Chevys are improved, so uh, I I like your pick, Richard. So thank you, Gray. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go with Kevin Harvick. You know, Kevin's had uh, his uh, he hadn't cracked uh, victory lane yet, and. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say he's gonna do it and I, and I, I'm not you know Stuart Haas uh, needs you know was was strong all last year they really you've been kind of playing second fiddle a little bit this year to uh, to Gibbs and Penske so uh, I'm looking for a Stuart Haas car particularly that the one of uh, Harvick to end up in victory lane. All right, another good pick. And Seth, what are you thinking? Well. Since uh, Richard took my pick, oh, I'm gonna go oh, with teammate of Jimmy's, the defending winner at Dover, Chase Elliott. So Chase, you got Chase Elliott going two in a row. Good stuff there. People like Chase Elliott, and I'm gonna go with the Penske car. I'm gonna go with Brad Keselowski, um, just because Penske's been strong this year, and you guys know I, I like Brad. So um, now moving along, now Richard. Um, you know, I always introduce you to the folks as a race engineer. You've uh, worked in Formula One before. Uh, you've worked in NASCAR. Uh, lately, you've been between jobs, but uh, you were at the racetrack this weekend. Um, I was, yeah. For uh, Park Place Motorsports, uh, uh, Porsche Cayman in um, the Blaupunk World Challenge, which is, we've had a couple of folks from that series on our show uh, recently at a uh, Jared Andretti, Spencer Pamelli, um, Derek DeBoer all on the show. So you got to uh, – something new for you. I mean, you've not worked in that series before. It's a little it's a little hard to follow. There's like 17 different classes <laughs> and, and seven different schedules. Um, yes. But uh, 
uh, you know, whenever I watch it, I find the racing to be quite entertaining. But um, now tell us a little bit about your weekend um, there with the race team. Oh, boy. Yeah, it was a long weekend. Um, I mean, for a start, it was at one of the best tracks thing in the country, at the Virginia International Raceway. What a what a place that is. I'd, I'd seen it on TV and I'd seen races from there, but I'd never been there in person. And it's a it's a pretty cool racetrack. It really is. Um, it it's what you know. It, it's one of those racetracks that is there for the love of the sport. Really, um, it's not pretentious. It's not built up. It's you know it, it, the people that go there go there because they love watching racing, and it, it's it's normally pretty entertaining. So. Um, yeah, for myself, it was the first time working in um, with one of these endurance cars for a long, 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 long time, and it, it was fascinating to see um, the um, the setup of these teams. They're relatively small teams. Um, there's maybe seven or eight uh, mechanics and engineers for uh, per car, and um, the Park Place Motorsport, who I was working with, they had two cars for the weekend. The GT4. Um, subset, if you like, of the Pirelli World uh, World Challenge is split into two halves as the Sprint category and the Sprint X. Um, and I still don't know the difference. <laughs> I think the, the Sprint X, you have a driver change and the Sprint, you don't. I think it could be and the other way around. I'm not sure. Which other way around, yeah. Way it goes. yeah, whichever way it goes. So one of them, you have a pro driver and amateur driver, and the other series is just purely the amateur driver. Right, so, right. Um, we had uh, we were set up so in the in the course of the um, weekend there was four races in total and there was um, two races on Saturday two races on the Sunday. We had a um, interesting weekend, should we say? Uh, first race on Saturday, there we think was an issue with curbing on one part of the uh, track. In that, out of the maybe 20 cars that are in the race, probably eight or nine have suffered from rear left punctures. Unfortunately, we were one of the teams that came victim to that. So we, the amateur driver there, who was um, Alan, I'm going to struggle to pronounce his surname. I'm sorry, Alan. Um, Brynjolfsson, I think is how his name is pronounced. I'm really sorry if it's not. Uh, he, he finished mid-pack uh, after running reasonably strongly at the start of the race there. So that was a little bit frustrating. Um, second race of the day, uh, Alan started in the car as the amateur driver um, and then was due to hand over to um, Trent Hinman, who was the pro driver for, for Park Place. Very, very good young driver. A lot of experience uh, for, for such a young age. Uh, unfortunately, we suffered from an engine issue uh, prior to that, which required a, an engine change in that car. So it was a that was a long long evening saturday evening um thankfully from my from my point of view i'm not an engine guy but there was some um, some of the guys who were were up till two o'clock in the morning on sunday getting that fixed um so there was a dnf in race two there race three on the sunday morning um we we came victim again to tired gremlins uh on that on that rear left which was um despite them doing some work to the track and grinding off some of the curbing we still became victim to that. Um, and then race four of the day uh, of the weekend was uh, the final race for the whole um, event. Um, and, and Trent started off again in the two-driver car there. Uh, with the engine change in that car, we, instead of starting on pole, which is where he'd qualified, he started back in 10th. But 
he was carving through that field and I think got about fourth or fifth and then started have braking issues. Um, and unfortunately, by the time he handed the car over to Alan, um, the brakes had failed. And uh, at one point going down into turn one, he's, he just lost the rear brakes totally and um, made contact with the wall, which was it was a great shame, really, because, you know, it's a good group of guys, good team, uh, two very, very good drivers. Uh, Alan, as an amateur driver, is, you know, very, very very capable and in some some places was was faster than some of the pro drivers um you know hard on himself he you know he, he always wanted to do better and always wanted to push the car uh, you know trent was a great mentor and tutor to him um so you know they'll bounce back they're up in mid ohio this weekend uh, they park place takes part in the uh, imster series as well as the um pretty well challenge so they're back for the imster series this weekend at mid ohio so hopefully um Hopefully they'll back, bounce back this weekend and have a, have a really solid run up in in mid Ohio. But it was uh, it was good to be back at trackside. You know that itch was uh, certainly well and truly scratched. Um, it was a long weekend, tiring weekend, but there's certainly something to be said for it. You know, the not one person on the team had any qualms at any point in time about swapping the engine on that car, knowing full well it would be a pretty much an all night job. You know, that's just not how they work. They they're committed, they go for it, and they do it for the love of the sport. And uh, hopefully, in the not-too-distant future, I'll be uh, I'll be back out uh, at another racetrack with those guys, uh, helping them out. All right, well, sounds good, man. I, and I wish you I wish you the best with uh, with them. You know, I hope that uh, you know what what you're adding to the team that they find beneficial. So um, that's the plan. Yeah, <laughs> that's the plan. That's the, <laughs> that's the plan. Earn that paycheck, right? So, exactly. All right, so we have. Um, Formula One this weekend, we kind of touched on a little bit that the Azerbaijan race failed to uh, deliver as as advertised, I guess, or as you know, <laughs> as promised from from the from the past few uh, few runs there. But there was some drama and some some excitement in uh, in qualifying, and, and there was some just odd stuff too. With uh, you know, uh, uh, who's it? George Russell ran over the um, the manhole mm-hmm. cover that came up and busted the bottom of his car. Yep. That was that was that was a scary looking video. That could have that, that it was that whole thing could have uh, gone very badly. Well, it was uh, similar to an incident that um, uh, Haas had in Malaysia, Grosjean. I think with Rose, yeah with Roman Grosjean a couple of years ago, where he just ran over a drain and ripped half the car apart. Now, I believe Haas got compensation from that. I'm sure these teams have insurance. That's quite. Oh, the, the, the circuit, the venues have insurance, but for, you know, for a brand new tub, you're, you're looking in the millions of dollars in, in terms of compensation there, and you could argue loss of performance as well. Uh, you know, because they they lost, he missed out on FP2. So it was, yeah, it was a bad weekend for Williams all over. You know, we've been saying that for the last two years. It feels like, um, and it's then a bad, in, it's, it's a bad decade for Williams right now. Yeah, it has been, <laughs> and. Um, you know, they, they had, uh, you know, and then Kubik had his accident in uh, in qualifying and, you know, they're really struggling with the with the tyres. And it was an interesting comment that George Russell made. He said, you know, it's hard for, the, for Williams to get the tyres working because the tyres are designed for the top three cars. Um, and I think Haas is seeing that as well. You know, Haas are, are openly saying they're the worst team when it comes to long-run performance versus short-run performance. You know, you often see... Magnussen and Grosjean qualifying, you know, top 12, top 10, top 8, or whatever it may be. And then they're running 15th, 16th in the race. They, they really struggle to, what's the phrase they use, turn on the tyres, um, as it were. 
So there's, you know, it's an interesting comment by George, and there, there may well be something in it. You know, obviously, Pirelli want to make a tyre that suits every team, but the big teams are the ones that shout loudest with when they look at what they want to work with. Um, and of course, you saw saw Charles Leclerc crash out in Q2, I think it was, which is a real shame for the kid. Um, you know, hey, he's 21, 22, he's going to make these mistakes. Um, and the most important thing for him is not too hard on himself. You know, he'll come, he'll win races, he'll he'll get more pole positions, more faster slaps, and all this sort of stuff. So th- there's no shame in in what happened to him there uh, last weekend. Um, obviously, the spotlight's on him a little bit, but you know, and, and arguably that cost Ferrari the race because um, you know Vettel they didn't have that tandem run in qualifying, so Vettel could only qualify third. They weren't able to benefit from the slipstream down the long um, you know, start-finish straight, which is a mile and something long, isn't it? Um, so, you know, arguably they, they struggled there, whereas Mercedes were able to run with that slipstream effect there. So you could argue that, unfortunately, Charles' mistake there had huge ramifications for the rest of the weekend. It, that, and that just shows the fine margin that Formula 1 works in. Um, you know, should that one incident cause so much trouble throughout the rest of the race weekend? No, I think... The series should be set up so that you can make a mistake and still recover. But as we all know, Formula One is working in point percent points of one percent scales here. Certainly. So now let's talk about the the front of the field. Um, so Valtteri take his second win of the year. Yeah. Um, and as predicted by one of you guys here, I think that was I think that was you, Richard. No, that was Joey. Yeah, no, I, that I was, didn't. That was Joey. You say Joey he, snuck in there and stole that. Right, right, yeah. I mean, not, not that we disagree with Joey, but uh, you know, Sabaltri, you know, took it, you know, took the race to Lewis Hamilton. Yep. Um, so uh, you feel like we might see a uh, a battle for the championship shaping up between the Mercedes teammates, like we did a few years ago when, um, uh, you know, when um, Rosberg was Ro- there. Ros- Rosberg took the fight to Lewis and won. I mean, it's the potential, and I must admit, you know, we have our little group chat going on and Seth made a comment you know post race that Mercedes looked delighted when Valtteri won didn't they you know it was, they just didn't you know like <laughs> yeah. oh oh the camera's on us we need to cheer you know that was that was quite telling you know you, I think, I'm sure everybody in, um, in Mercedes knows which way their bread's buttered sort of thing should we say you know they they definitely are a pro Lewis and and hopefully you know that doesn't hurt Lewis you know he's got to rise to that challenge and Lewis argued, said he said he was. I was, I was very surprised that Lewis, after seeing the start, Lewis didn't make that move down into turn one or turn two. Um, I thought he got a better start than Bodas and was in a position to to make the move. Maybe he just lost a little bit of traction on the inside of turn one there and couldn't accelerate in the same way that he would have liked. But at the end of the day, he was outdriven. You know, again, these cars are so balanced and you're not driving as fast as you can in these cars you're managing the race and managing the tires and i think that um you know yeah valtteri just drove better than hamilton did and again it's when you two teams like when your teammates like that whoever gets to the first corner first will typically finish ahead when they can control a race in that manner yeah I, well, i'm just you know kind of pleased with the fact that mercedes as dominant as they are you know will will allow the battle between the, you know, because if you look at the the Ferrari Michael Schumacher era, right? You yeah. Know, it's like, um, you know, get this Eddie Irvin out of here. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want a guy who'd like to win. 
You know what yeah. I mean? Go ahead, give me give me Rubens Barrichello or or yeah. or Nigel Mansell at Williams say, you know, give me Ricardo Patracy, who's 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 fine finishing second to me. Yeah, you know, and and then then I'll gift him a win every now and again. So uh, so it's refreshing to see Baltry having two wins, Valtteri Bottas having two wins this mm-hmm. early in the season. Even though you know Lewis is is ahead by several points, but it's a, it's no nah, Valtteri's season. ahead now. Oh, is he? Okay, because he's got his. Uh, they both had two wins and two seconds, but Valtteri had that fastest lap in Melbourne, so he's right, right. He's so, ahead so by a point. Yes, yeah, so they're they're locked in. So, but let's talk about Lewis. And the record books, okay? Because it's it's mm-hmm. amazing how fast he's piled up wins. You know, we have a longer season, and he's with quite a dominant team, right? So he's at 75, yeah. 75 Grand Prix wins now. His he he's been averaging ten to eleven race wins per year for the last couple of years. That that that's uh, puts him a year and a half away from passing Michael Schumacher for number one on the list. Mm-hmm. Does that blow your mind or what? You know, when I was I, young, know, I, yeah. race, I, I thought nobody would would catch Jackie Stewart's twenty seven wins. No, I thought I thought that it's... record was unbreakable. And then <laughs> Alan Alan Prost, right? Then I thought nobody, you know, nobody yeah. will will break Alan Prost having fifty wins. And then Michael Schumacher comes along. So and nobody's but gonna you... gonna Schumacher's ninety some wins. And Lewis is mm-hmm. Lewis is on pace to to pass the hundred win mark. Oh yeah, and it is it interesting actually. It's it's quite poignant that you know I'll go back to you know Senna on this topic. You know he won forty odd races. I can't remember the exact number off the top of my head, but there was something about the way he did it. You know there was that. Senna had this arrogance, but he also had this sort of South American flair and this flamboyantness about him and and people didn't really mind him winning and people didn't really because he was such a character and he was such a he icon. Won with style yeah I, you know you have yeah. a little there's a little bit of revisionist history right here richard there there were people that minded senna winning quite a bit may may well i mean the same, same thing with the dale arnard has been sainted you know, but but there there when he was oh, back sure. and back, there were people that couldn't stand him. And, and Senna was a, a lovely more. He was a yeah, polarizing, sure love him or hate for him sure kind of guy. Yeah, so. But you I, you look at nobody, you look at the way Lewis is going. Fans liked him winning. But you look at the way Lewis is going about it, and I mean, hey, you, you can't you can't discredit his record by no no such imagination, but it's. There's something that's not there, if you know. I'm try- I can't think of the word. There's something. The, the thing is missing. The element that's missing from Lewis is the he, is the competition. The utter dominance of Mercedes during this era yeah. is what it is. I mean, really. And I think he, you know he's 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 not had he's not had the competition uh, to deal with. I mean, basically, yeah. You know, you have you haven't seen him, you know, more than a, you know, drive through the field and 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 you know and come back and win. Typically, the majority, the vast majority of his races have been, you know, from the front row. Mm-hmm. You know, where, and, where this, he's, and he's dominated. It's interesting you mentioned that. I think it's also it's a lot to do with the way the cars 
are designed and the cars work mm-hmm. these days. Sure, you know, you, it's a different you, era. You, you, yeah, you look at you look at when Senna was winning. You know, he was sliding. You know, and guys like Gilles Villeneuve as well. They were sliding the cars around the corner, and they were they were on the edge. You know, they, and they were still were, shift, and they were shift. They didn't yeah. have paddles to shift with. They were shifting with. You know, they were shifting with their right hand. You know, yeah, and, and, and stuff like that. And they'd miss a gear change. I mean, you know, I don't think that's happened in the last 20 years in Formula 1, a driver's yeah. missed a gear change. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, the, the people think that's an urban legend, that missed a gear change. What does that mean? You know? Yeah. I, I don't know, so, but you, you, look at the, um, you look at, you know, some of Senna's records, and, and this is where I think he was on a different level to Hamilton. Yeah, I mean, it was a, and then Schumacher was the same as well. You yeah. look at, say, I mean, the two examples I'm going to give here. The very, very famous one uh, for Senna, of course, is, is Monaco '88, uh, I think it was. Yeah. When he 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 got pole at Monaco by 1.5 seconds, and he beat his teammate, who was a guy called Alan Prost. Now I don't know if he ever did anything in Formula One, <laughs> but by 1.5. I mean, that is like. I mean, that's like Hamilton beating, you know, Botas by two seconds, if you put them in comparison, because Botas is no Alan Prost. Mm. You know, that is the margin there. I mean, you, you just never see it these days because of the way the cars work. Now, that's not to say that Hamilton couldn't do that in, in those cars, but and it, it's the whole thing about comparing eras and what have you. Yeah, but, you're not And then you look at Schumacher. Apples and oranges. Yeah. You know, again, a famous you know, sort of point from Schumacher's ability was 1999. So he'd had an accident at Silverstone earlier in the year and broke his leg and missed a third, maybe half the season and was not in no position to win the championship when he returned in Malaysia. But Eddie Irvine, his teammate, had the opportunity to to win that championship. And Schumacher goes out in his first qualifying session after injury and sets pole by a second. I mean, it was just utterly dominant. And this guy had been in bed for six months with a broken leg. Mm-hmm. You just, you, there's just something, you know, Hamilton, through no fault of his own, I don't think, hasn't had the opportunity to display the, I don't, again, I don't know what the word is. I'm struggling yeah, no, with the word. Yeah, he's, he's, I mean, mystique. yeah, to, to, to Gray's point, yeah, he's, Starts on the front row and leads every lap because yeah. he's very, very yeah. for, very fortunate to be, you know, where where he is and who he's employed but, by. But, and, and but, but he but he's not there by mistake either. Well, he's a generation. No, exactly. He's earned the right. Right. He's he's earned the right. right. To be in he that is position. he is a generational talent. For sure. Exactly. In his era, right. and I think that you know generational talents would their skills would work in any era. You know, you could take them back to another era and, and they and they could they could adapt and drive those cars. They just saw like I think Senna today could adapt and drive these cars. You know, we, we have the same we talk about Kyle Bush today uh, driving back in the era of David Pearson and Kale Yarber and Bobby Allison. I, I, I for one book you know believe that yeah He's a generational talent that could that could succeed <clears throat> that could succeed and excel in any era. And I think people like Hamilton and and Senna and Clark and Stewart and Schumacher, all those guys, you know, could succeed in any era based mm-hmm. on just their just their talent. Yeah. All right. So uh, good. So where where's Formula One off to next? Do we have a week off. Barcelona. Barcelona. So yep. 
for the um, start of the European season. Right, and then this will be the the last race at Barcelona for the um, immediate future, right? Because we're bringing uh, the Dutch Grand Prix back on next year, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct, Richard? Potentially. There's been some um, talk about that. Now it's... um, So it's not official yet? No, I don't think so. I mean, uh, Barcelona is, is one of a number of tracks that is... <clears throat> coming to the end of its its contract um, with with the um, Formula One governing body there, and um, it, it's maybe like the old thing Bernie used to do back in the day. He sort of you know spread a rumor that another track was going to come in and take somebody else's slot to you know increase the the the, the price of the um, uh, of the race weekend uh, from the Formula One standpoint. But you know you do have to look at Barcelona now. It, never been the greatest race for a long long time i can't remember a good spanish grand prix um and you know with with alonso not there anymore it's struggling to sell tickets you know um even before alonso came along i remember it was in doubt and he sort of pretty much single-handedly saved that race um so it obviously makes sense now that he's not around for it to be questionable um, I mean, I'm sure it still get used as used as a preseason testing venue, um, and I think World Superbikes and the World Touring Cars will still go there. But yeah. now, um, now, you know, with... now Zanford, Zanford, am I saying that right? Ah, uh, that'll do. <laughs> Close enough, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, with with um, you know Max Verstappen doing well, that's you've got exactly. a built built in superstar there. But I mean, the track hasn't hosted Grand Prix cars in a number of years, oh, and no. we're we're going to have to put some serious money into some. Upgrades to the the track and some of the curbing and and certainly yeah. um, in the pit lane and garages just to just to get that up to Formula One snuff. So um, uh, and you're know, talking so about next year. So I mean, there's a yeah, lot of yeah, work to do there. I mean, if you there was um, a lot of work. Uh, Max Verstappen did a Red Bull demo day there, and there's the onboard camera from him driving around there on YouTube, I believe. And it's a little bit on the narrow side. <laughs> It really yeah. is, you know. Yeah. And those barriers are awfully close. Um, and I remember, um, you know, Charlie Whiting late last year, he um, inspected the track purely from a, okay, yeah, we could hold a race here. Well, that was the track. That wasn't the facilities. That wasn't the infrastructure. That wasn't the medical ability, you know. So, again, I I think it, I think what you'll end up seeing is Barcelona maybe extend by a year or two. And, and, and Zanvot come in eventually. Uh, there's obviously the demand from the Dutch fans there, and it's a convenient location from you know for the German, French, um, you know the British fans to come over. Um, it, it's not a million miles away, so I think you'd I think it'd be a good venue to go to and to have if they could get it up to spec. If if they get up to spec for sure. So now now is Barcelona this coming weekend or we have a week off? It's next weekend. It's next weekend. So it's so the twelfth. It's, it's, it's on Mother's Day. Uh, yes, well, it, yes. Yeah, in, in the US it is in Europe, it's not Mother's Day. Right, right, well, okay. Well, well we live in the, we, we, we're in the USA. Yeah, I know. <laughs> These colors don't me. run, Richard. <laughs> so, uh, I just love to, I love to quote Ricky Bobby. <laughs> so, all right, we've got a few minutes left, but, um, it is the month of May, you know, and, and, uh, Things are underway for um, the, the Indianapolis 500. They began the process of renaming all the downtown streets after the drivers. You can, you know, you can check certain certain drivers' social media pages there. Uh, well, you see them placing their, um, their 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 names over the street signs. There's a great couple of great pictures of Tony Kanan putting Kanan Avenue up there where he's holding his son. 
Um, they've also applied the giant decals to the uh, downtown Marriott. Uh, I don't know if you've uh, if you guys have been down there through Indianapolis or seen pictures of the, of the JW Marriott downtown Indianapolis, but they they always decorate the, the I mean the whole uh, you know it's a large skyscraper size hotel made of blue glass that uh, that holds giant decals just fine, and they always put up something for. Um, you know, the giant Indianapolis 500 logo to welcome folks coming into town and reminding them that hashtag this is May. Hashtag this is May, this is Indy. And um, so the entry list for the 500 was released today. So there are 36 cars entered. Uh, two drivers, TBA, and one of those is the uh, number 77 Schmidt-Peterson car, which, you know, the popular is... That's going to go to um, Oriole Servia, and the other TBA is the um, Yukos Racing Car, which uh, is going to go to Kyle Kaiser by default, unless somebody comes in with the checkbook and says, "I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to run that car." So, but uh, yeah, Richard, I don't know what that was. So, um, yeah, that was my bad. <laughs> so, uh, it just, it just sounded like a little. Little ringtone or something. I don't know. It was cute. So, <laughs> but I digress. This is a live show. No, it's not a live show. Actually, live, it, yeah. So we've got. Uh, yeah. So uh, at, the the uh, IndyCar drivers have had tested uh, on the oval. They've uh, had a quick test on the road course. Uh, there have been some weather hasn't been cooperating, but there's another. Uh, uh, the road course will be uh, up and running. The the Indianapolis Grand Prix is on uh, May 11th, the day before Mother's Day. Uh, and then everyone will convert their uh, Grand Prix cars over to oval cars, and and racing, you know, practice. The month of May will commence. Um, you know, culminating qualifying on the 18th and the 500 at the end of the month there on Labor on Memorial Day weekend. So, um, am I so, uh, sorry? Quick, quick, am I right in saying that Alonso isn't running the road course? Alonso isn't running the road course. You are absolutely correct. They're they're doing the 500 only effort. Um, Why not? That doesn't make any sense, really. It, it's like it saves them the trouble of, of having to either, you know, have two cars, or well, I'm sure they have two cars, you know, because they, they have a spare. Yeah. They don't have to convert the one back over. Um, I, yeah, yeah, I'd love to McLaren's budget is a little bit on the slim side, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, they're just yeah. Their budget for the 500 for Alonso is probably bigger than some of the IndyCar's teams for the full season. Uh, I'll guarantee this. Yeah, I'll guarantee they're putting more into the Indy 500 than Ed Carpenter or Dale Coyne put into the full season. Sure, but yep. yeah, I don't, I don't know why Alonso isn't running the Grand Prix. But there are um, the, the, the you know the, there's always these guys that you wonder that they, they they make a 500 deal. Why don't they just throw in the Grand Prix? You know, yeah. like, like Castro Nevis for sure. He's uh he'll be he'll be doing both. He's doing the Grand Prix and the 500. And that's that's you know that's all he gets to do outside of his IMSA. Um, commitments with Penske, yep. uh, but a lot of these other, um, like you know, James Davison has got a one-off for the 500. I'd love to see him in the Grand Prix too, because he's a road racer. He's and he's a good. That's his, that's his speciality. It's like yeah, yeah. Now, Seth, Seth, is an option. Davison, right? You've you've uh, you've talked with him a bit, Seth. Uh, I have on occasion via iRacing. Okay, all right. I was going to say you had a uh, talk to him some, but uh, yeah, I've talked to Davidson too, and the guy's a good road racer. But this, 
And the only deal, I mean, when you, I, I guess when you bring that check for, I've, I've, I've got this sponsor interested in the Indy 500, they say, yeah, we'll put all that money into the 500 car, which makes sense if you think about it. So the, the Grand Prix field will be comprised largely of just the series regulars and Elio Castroneves. I, I don't believe that there are too many of the other ones, the, 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 the Indy, you know, the added, you know, the, the you know, like Hildebrand is not going to be there, nor will Sage Karam. They're all just focused on the 500 only. So, I don't know. But I, I've, I like the Indy Grand Prix. I think it's a really fun event. It's, I mean, if you want to experience the Indy 500 atmosphere without the 400,000 people there, go to the <laughs> Grand, go to the Grand Prix weekend. Um, it, it's a lot of fun. Um, there's a lot more access. They have a, an autograph session, just like they do before the 500. If, if you're into to hunting autographs, the, all the lines for the concessions and the gift shops are considerably shorter. You can go take your time in the museum and the museum, by the way, unveiled the Mario Andretti icon exhibit. Um, today, May 1st, that, that exhibit opened up. They've got some really neat stuff in there, including Mario's Lotus 79, that he won the world championship with. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, and Mario's Indy winners in there too. You've got some of his Newman Haas cars, uh, one of the, one of the, the Viceroy cars there, Bell's Parnelli cars. It's just uh, loaded up with good Mario Andretti stuff. So for the, for the, they always have a rotating uh, theme. Last year was AJ Foyt or two years ago was AJ Foyt. Last year was the Gunster. So um, yeah, if you're, if you're in the Indianapolis area, like I say, you want to do the Indy 500 without 400,000 people? Go to the Grand Prix. That's my advice to you. So, guys, we've just got about a minute left in the show, so I'm just going to open it up for a final thought from everybody. I'll start with you, Gray. Yeah, uh, well, going to go to Dover this weekend and see what the cup cars do there. Uh, first first time with the new package there. We'll see uh, how that goes um, and see what kind of race we get out of, out of there on the concrete. All right, and Seth, you have a final thought for the evening? Uh, just hoping that the momentum from Talladega continues for NASCAR. And final thought from you, Richard? Um, you know, again, it's always this time of year. It's a bittersweet time of year, but, um, you know, the show must go on, as it were, and, um, you know, May is probably one of the greatest months in in open wheel racing anyway with the Indy 500 and, you know, Monaco and places like that. It's, yeah, it's, it's a good month. Let's, let's crack on with it. Absolutely. Yep. I'm agree with you. Let's crack on with it as you British folks say. <laughs> so, but yeah, everyone. Oh yeah. Oh, you know, for, for the Indy 500 faithful. Oh my gosh. Everybody's like, is it May yet? Is it May yet? Is it May yet? Yes, it's May. It is May. We've got the 500 to look forward to again. Like you said, we've got Dover. We've got the NASCAR All-Star Race coming up. We've got the 600, and we've got the Monaco Grand Prix all this month. So, um, But what we don't have is any more time for the show tonight. So I want to say goodnight to you folks that tune in and listen to us. I want to thank uh, the Hoobazoo Radio Network and thank iHeartRadio. I want to thank you, Gray, Richard, and Seth for coming on. And uh, until next week, good night. W-H-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O-N-A-C-O-O-N-A-C-O-O-N-A-C-O-O-N-A-C-O-O-N-A-C-O-O-N-A-C-O-O-N-A-C-O-O-N-A-C-O-O-N
With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.